Well, it's the time of year when uh, families are getting together and people are traveling from Pennsylvania down to Dixie's southern shore. And uh, it's no different with our family. We've got, uh, we've got all of ours home. And the other night, we were all gathered around in, at the table for the first time. And I thought, I, I kind of need to set the tone for uh, everybody being back, pressed in the same space, you know, for these weeks. And uh, so I said, well, I've got some guidelines. And I pulled out my um, piece of paper. And, um, and Beth looked at me and she said, now this is going to be positive, right? And then she gave me a big smile. So I abandoned that whole track, and uh, no, <laughs> she keeps me straight. Keeping peace is tough enough. How about making peace? Keeping peace is tough enough, right? Even with our own households, what about making peace? Making peace is even tougher. I think those of us who, uh, who follow the news and who are distressed about the division in our culture today, uh, may be surprised to know that things used to be worse. That at one time, there's this thing called the Civil War, <laughs> where people actually uh, turned against family against family. And in the middle of that war, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of our great American poets, wrote a poem that has become one of the beloved Christmas carols of all time. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. He had just lost his wife in a fire. His second wife, he was twice a widow. His son, who secretly entered into the, the conflict, uh, it was shot and uh, his spinal cord severed. It was just six months since that horrid battle of Gettysburg where so many, so many people died. And it was Christmas Day, and he sat down with his fountain pen and took it out. And in the midst of all of that, he said, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is... No peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's just the middle of the song, the middle of the poem. It's not where it ends. But you see, here is someone who is not sentimentalizing Christmas. Someone who recognizes that the one who calls himself Prince of Peace must be directing his energy, must be directing his word, must be directing his life story. And all that we have in terms of our gifts and passions at making peace when there is no peace to be found. That Jesus who came to be our Prince of Peace came that we may follow him in making peace. And so we have no excuse. Those of us who have lingering conflicts, those of us who are, who are tense over the season, we are equipped, uniquely equipped. As Christians, we're uniquely equipped to make peace. With that consideration, with the idea that you as a Christian, 
are equipped to make peace. Let's take a look at this next part of the Christmas story from the Word of God, Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1 here. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went out on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. That's not the star, is it? No. No. It's back. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God bless us today through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, do bless us through your word today, we pray. Not only to our minds to understand it, but our hearts to receive it that with our hands and feet we may live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Long ago and far away, in a town and place that shall remain anonymous, I did a wedding. I was performing a wedding, and just before the wedding, I got word from our wedding coordinators that the mother and father of the bride was upset because both of the grandparents had shown up to the wedding. And they expected us to bar the door. Volunteers, these are volunteers for the church. And here is a family in deep conflict, and they're asking us to manage it for them. Here I am in the back. I'm about ready to walk in. There are probably 500 people waiting for this wedding. And here is the mother of the bride, very upset that her mom and dad have shown up and that his mom and dad have shown up. We did not bar the door. <laughs> we let them come in. We told them they could sit 
wherever they wanted. And uh, this family was very upset with me. Uh, that's not that unusual for people to be upset with me for making a decision like that. But uh, it seemed to me fitting at the time that if we're going to have uh, a wedding within the setting of, uh, of the church, that people of peace ought to be peaceful people. That people who are equipped to make peace have no excuse not to make it, even within and especially within their own families. It's tough sometimes. We feel the pinch. The people uh, closest to us sometimes can be the most difficult, and sometimes I'm the one who's the most difficult. And so during this season, when we talk about peace, we can't just sentimentalize it. We can't just pretend that it just makes itself. We are uniquely equipped to make peace. Christian, you've got everything it takes. You have what's called patience. First of all, people who have made peace with God are patient people. People who have made peace with God, they've made their peace with God, they have patience. It's one of the gifts. It's, it's actually considered to be one of the gifts that brings together all of the gifts. And so part of the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, patience is, is an amalgam of all the fruit. You know, uh, the, the classic uh, novelists, like somebody like uh, Jane Austen, one of, the cla- one of the great classic novelists, they, they dealt in virtues or the fruit of the Spirit. They, they dealt, their storyline dealt with the virtues of the Christian life, one of which is patience. Jane Austen's novel, Persuasion, was named after she died by her brother. He read through it and thought, hmm, seems like this is about persuasion. But others who, have, who understand the theme of this novel think that she probably would have called the novel Patience. It's a story about someone who has incredible patience. At age 19, she was talked out by somebody who was a great uh, mother figure to her. She didn't have a mother, but someone who was a mother figure to her, talked out of a wedding, talked out of a betrothal. And, uh, and, And this young man went off to war, and eight years later, neither one of them was wed. And throughout the story, you see somebody who is, is waiting, somebody who is waiting patiently. And, and why is it that, that the Christian is uniquely equipped with patience? Because we understand that the sovereignty of God is always at work in and through everything. You, you, you can think of, of so many different verses. The, the, the grand example, of course, is, is Romans 8.28, that that God is, is working all things together for good for those who love God. That doesn't mean that everything in and of itself is good. It doesn't mean that you're going to see it next week or next month or next year. But it, that, it, it means that there is a, what, what, what the scholars call a telos. And that is, that is there is a fashioned end or there is, there is a target out there. Think of telos as kind of the target, God's target. 
and in and through every turn and, and, and thick and thin of your life, there is that target, and that is the sovereignty of God. The Magi understood the sovereignty of God. The Magi were patient people. The Magi traveled for months on end. The Magi had this, 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 this signal in, in the east, this star. Magi are kind of this mysterious group. Over the centuries, you know, you can almost see, uh, um, um, who is it, uh, the, the, the novelist, uh, Brown. What's, what's his first name? I can't remember his first name. The, the one who, who talks about secret societies. Dan Brown, thank you. Dan Brown, you can almost see him writing something about the Magi. The Magi kind of date back to even into the Daniel period. The Magi were these uh, elite scholars. They understood mathematics and science. And, and they understood uh, astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy. They understood the workings of the universe. They, they were very bright people. And so they were advisors to the king, and they rose in the way that Daniel rose to the seat of power. They rose the way Joseph rose. And so the Magi understood that, that there was a unique event taking place in the sky. They knew that something different was going on. And so the Magi patiently set out. The Magi, like Joseph, like Daniel, they could interpret dreams. And so so God would appear to these magi over, over this period, these, these kings of the east. And, and, and here in this small, uh, almost nameless town, this town of no consequence, east and west come together. And the magi come patiently, not to bring in the king with a, with a sword, but with a plowshare. Not to bring in a king who would run over humanity and take charge, but a king who would be the prince of peace, who came to serve. Do you see the patience there? Do you see the Magi's expectation? Unlike the Jews of the day, unlike, unlike the Hebrews, the Israelites of the day, they expected this uh, occupied Roman territory to be completely, completely uh, uh, reversed that occupation would be dispelled and that, that, that this new king would take over. And they had such a small vision, such an impatient and small vision of what the new kingdom would be like. They couldn't imagine us sitting here today, people who have made peace with God because the prince of peace came, not just for a small region in time and place, but for all human history. Someone who came to make peace with God. The Magi understood, and so they were patient. You see, people who have made peace with God are patient people. People who make peace with God, secondly, have patience for themselves. They don't just have patience in general. You know, patience is always with someone, right? So if you're impatient, if you're impatient with yourself, or if you can't identify who you're impatient with or you're upset with, or maybe you're just sort of, you're, you're, you're just sort of shouting out to the universe, you're impatient with someone, right? Probably the one. 
Our impatience sometimes is directed at God, but more often than that, our impatience is directed at ourselves. But people who have patience, who have made peace with God, they're patient with themselves. They're patient with that internal murmur of self-reproach. You've heard me say that before. The internal murmur of self-reproach. Everybody has that little voice that sometimes, that, that, that begins to tear you down, that begins to accuse you, that, that, that says things to you that, that are not kind. People who've made peace with God are equipped to be kind to themselves. Kind to themselves. I love this little story by Katie McCabe. Uh, it's a story of her, her, her days in, uh, in college. She had a, a beloved, a special professor. A teacher that really cared for his students. And, um, and, 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 and for me, this story captures what it looks like for somebody who has made peace with God to be patient with themselves. She said that this professor believed in them so much that they believed in themselves. This professor spoke such life into them and had so much confidence in them and was it was constantly breathing life into them and, and saying to them how much, how much talent they had and, and noticing in very particular ways and calling up and out of them a particular kind of identity that they had. And she said that has affected her for the rest of her life. She says, every time I'm impatient with myself, every time that, that I'm unkind to myself, in every endeavor, I... I I hear his voice and I, I think to myself, where is that person that he saw? Where is that person? And so she says, in every endeavor of life, she's looking for the person her professor saw in her. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love that picture. The power of one person to speak life into someone else. How much more do you have the power to be patient with yourself because you have made peace with God see religion religion goes like this religion says i need to make a peace offering to god so that i can achieve his peace but christianity says this i'm making my peace offering with humanity i'm offering myself that's that's God's peace offering, his very self, his son. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What's the significance of gold and frankincense and myrrh? Well, gold, obviously, frankincense is a, is a perfume. It's fragrant. What is myrrh? Myrrh is used in a gruesome act. It's used in burial in a variety of ways. Myrrh anticipates not only the birth of Jesus, but the death of Jesus. God has made peace with us. And so in, in, in giving his particular peace offer, do you see how valuable your life is? 
Do you not see how valuable you are, Christian? What greater message could be sent that speaks worth into your life? Are you patient with yourself? People who have made peace with God have great patience with themselves. They are kind to themselves. Finally this, we are uniquely equipped to make peace because of our peace with God. And because of it, we have peace to give. People who have made peace with God have something to give other people. Out of the overflow of the peace that you've made with God and the peace that you have with yourself, think of it like this. You have peace with God. You have the peace of God. You have his peace. You have something to extend, something to give to other people. People who don't have that peace. There's a vacuum, and they try to fill it. Their lack of patience with themselves and with the universe and with God. It, it, it creates an emptiness, a hunger for something to be made right. And usually all kinds of mischief begins to enter in. Nature abhors a vacuum. You've heard that, right? Nature abhors a vacuum. It doesn't like a vacuum. And so something rushes into that vacuum. What rushes into the vacuum of someone's life when they lack peace? And when patience is always with someone, even if it's that anonymous someone, that capital S someone, Impatience is therefore with someone. And so what we do, what we tend to do when there's a vacuum and when we're impatient is we try to, I think of it this way, we try to hook somebody's arm. If I, if I don't have peace with somebody else, then I'm at least going to find somebody to come alongside me. I'm at least going to hook somebody else's arm. And I'm, I'm going to get them to, to come alongside me and agree with me and help Help uh, allay my fears that I have of being uh, ill at ease with somebody else. Are you with me? See, this is what we do. And, and sometimes what we do is we think, well, I'm going to make friends with somebody else. I'm going to bring them into my council. I I'm going to fill this vacuum that I have uh, with somebody else because it's too difficult making peace with this other person. And so I'm, I'm going to bring somebody else into my council in order to fill that vacuum. And you know what we think? We think, oh, gosh, this is, this, somebody's really sharing something very intimate and special with me. This is a, a connection. We have a common enemy. And, and you feel very safe in that moment, but don't leave the room. Because you could be next. You see, when we do this, what we're saying, what we're saying to the people is that that other person, it's just, not, it's just too difficult. It's not worth it. It's not worth the, the, the difficulty of reconciling. It's just too uncomfortable. It's, it's just too tense. It's not worth it. And so we hook somebody else's arm. It says in the text here, it says Herod was, uh, he was ill at ease, right? It says Herod heard this and he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. What, what, why is that? Why is all of Jerusalem troubled with Herod? Just because Herod has trouble. Well, Herod was, you know, he was the, 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 the local ruler here, right? Under Caesar Augustus, he was the one. He was the one for that area, 
So he was in charge. He had a lot of power. And you know what they say, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? You feel that, right? When, 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 when someone in the household is unhappy, the rest, the rest of the family is ill at ease. Herod was paranoid. He was paranoid. I mean, here's a baby and he's threatened. Here's a baby uh, who's born to be king of the Jews and, and, and all of a sudden he just breaks out into a sweat. He, he built this mound uh, just south of Bethlehem, about three miles south of Bethlehem. It was kind of like this. It was this fortress. It was this very steep hill, and on top of it, he created his own little high hide. You can go see it today. I mean, you can go and, and visit and, and, and tour it. Uh, Herod created that. He was paranoid. Paranoid. Because people who don't have peace, they make it, they look for it everywhere else. They try to create it for themselves. But you and I, when we have peace with God, we have something to give. Christian, you've got something to give. I want to leave you with just three quick ways for you to make peace. It says this in Matthew a little further back, it says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come offer your gift. That's not saying if you have something against your brother. If you think that someone has something against you, and you're in worship, you're, you, don't use worship of God as an excuse not to make peace. That's how important peace. Not just that God and sinner be reconciled, but that sinner and sinner be reconciled. That's how important it is. That you leave your gift and go and be reconciled. Now, here's the difficult. It's difficult, okay? So first, it's difficult because, you know, when everybody, anybody says to you, hey, we need to talk, right? I mean, I just break out in a sweat just thinking about that, that, that phrase. We need to talk, right? I mean, no, I just like, woo, it's getting hot in here. We need to talk, right? Don't you feel that way? Of course you do. I can see it on your faces. It's like, why are you even talking about this? It's Christmas. But sometimes, here's, here's another experience, though, and I, and I think you'll find this. When you need to go make peace with somebody else, more often than not, how many times has this happened? You're like, you're worried about it, and you're thinking about it, and you're sweating over it, and then you go and you talk to the person, and, and they say, I don't even remember what you're talking about. <laughs> I love it when that happens. You know, it's like, yeah, you've been worried about it. I don't even remember it. It could be one of those. I know it's difficult. But the second thing is this. Scripture talks about peace and making peace almost 500 times. I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. That's how seriously we need to take this. But finally this. There are people who are sort of they're, they're, they're occupying your thoughts. They're, they're taking up space in your mind and heart. Uh, and they don't belong there in the way that you have them there. Uh, you, 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 when you and I have unresolved issues, when you and I have issues that need to be ironed out, 
it's going to keep coming back and back and back again. Because we're made to reconcile. And so this is what I would tell you to do. Go and take a shot at it. Just extend the olive branch. It doesn't always work out. But at least you can figure out whether or not you need to continue to pursue reconciliation or whether or not you need to pursue forgiveness. You see, those are two different things. Reconciliation is where both parties agree to what the history was, and and it's a two-way street. And so we agree, okay, we're going to reconcile, and we're going to sort of iron out these differences. But when that doesn't happen, then you can say, look, I've, I've done what I've been called to do, and now I need to get on with my life and move forward, and I need to forgive. I need to work on forgiveness. And sometimes forgiveness can take a long, long time, but at least you know the difference. You see, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a Christian, if, if you have made peace with God, if God has made peace with you, you are uniquely equipped to be kind to yourself and to extend that kindness in reconciliation or at least forgiveness. Wadsworth Longfellow, Henry Longfellow, he says this at the end. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you that you've made your peace with us. How we thank you that you've equipped us to be peacemakers and not just peacekeepers. Lord, we pray that over the course of the remainder of this season and perhaps setting the tone for 2019, you would make us of peace, people willing to step in to the places where there is no peace. Not to say peace, peace, where there is no peace, but to make it. In Jesus' name, amen.